Well, good morning again. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's all right. I understand. It's still early. Um, man, I, I'm, I'm really excited about, like I said, this is my favorite time of year. Um, I, I, I love it. I, this defines, um, this time of year defines everything that we believe, what we stand for, how we live, and everything. The idea uh, of God loving us so much he sent his son to die for us, and then he rose again. And that, that's where our hope lies. In fact, in fact, Paul says, without the resurrection, this is all just a waste of time and, and everything. But um, I'm excited that as we lead up to it, to look at some of probably the briefest statements that Jesus ever made. He said so much in his life. Um, but I really believe that some of the most powerful things that he ever said was when he was on the cross. And just little tiny statements there. And, and so... Um, I'm excited as we go through this and we look at it and see how those words still affect us today. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some of those statements and kind of diving into that and seeing again um, how that deals with us today as we prepare as we enter Easter. And, and again, like I said, I love Easter. It is the one time of year your friends are actually offended if you don't ask them to go to church. Um, and so everybody's thoughts turn towards Jesus um, just all over the world, and so it's such a great opportunity, but um, t- again, just to prepare us a- as we move forward to this, we're going to take a deep look at some of these last little statements, um, and, and this week we are starting with, why have you forsaken me? Um, and I-, I don't know about you, but this phrase has always kind of bothered me, I've always thought about like, why Jesus, God himself, telling God, why have you forsaken me? And in it, we see his humanity, we see the hurt, we see the passion, we see the emotion of this moment. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27. If you don't have Bibles, we have them available for you. If you don't own one, grab one of those, put your name in it. It's a gift to you. We'll get more. If you can't find your Bible, if you're on vacation, take it. It's yours to have it. If you have an electronic device, you can sign into our Wi-Fi here, GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, and you can follow along there. Um, But as always... And forever, these are the only words that matter this morning. These are the most important words. It's the only reason I get to speak. It's the only reason I get to preach. It's the only reason we get to be a church is because of these words. And so out of respect of these words and out of acknowledgement and authority, I'm going to ask if you will just stand with me. As we begin in Matthew 27, starting at verse 37, Matthew writes this. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. This morning, we thank you for the opportunity just to gather, God, to be in your presence. God, to hear from your word once again. 
God, we stand upon the promise that your words never come back void. God, that you would take these words, Father, and that they would be yours, not mine. God, that you would use them to pierce our hearts. God, that you would meet us where we're at, that you would reveal the areas that we need to deal with. And God, most of all, that you would change us through them. God, I pray this morning for ears to hear, for hearts to respond, and the courage to live it outside these walls. God, would you just have your way with us this morning? Move in our hearts. God, do something that you're the only one that could get credit for. And may you get all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, this this statement is probably one of the ones um, that I think I struggle with the most. And we will will get into that, kind of why I struggle with that. But the idea of just, here's Jesus himself, the one who raised people from the dead, walked on water, did all the miracles, preached goodness, kindness, love, and, and, and gave us the greatest picture of God, the only picture of God that we ever really need. And stuff, hanging on the cross, at that moment, feeling forsaken, feeling the emotion, feeling alone. And, and with it, I, I, I want to give you a picture. And I, I don't, listen, there's no way I can describe what Christ went through. I mean, there, there, there's just no way. Movies can't, even with modern movies, and some of you probably have seen The Passion of Christ and everything. I, I don't even think that's close to, to what he went through. Here is a man that taught love openly, taught boldly. He was always around, and yet he was captured. He was wrongly accused. He was put on trial, which was just a crazy, stupid kangaroo trial. In fact, in Jewish history, Jewish custom, Jewish law, you didn't do trials at night, and yet in the dead of night, that's when they try him. And there's people mocking him, and there's people... yelling at him and people accusing him and they're all lies and in the midst of that he all keep, he keeps silent he doesn't defend himself and and they beat him mercilessly they blindfold him they punch him in the face and say oh if you're if you're Jesus you're prophesied prophesy who hit you and then they turn him over to a foreign power and then they just scourge him and beat him so bad that he probably isn't even recognizable I mean, we, we've all heard the stories. We all know the tale, you know, the, the cat of nine tails, that whip that just lacerated his skin. Bearing open organs and bones and just how they crushed the thorns upon his head. And how they just continuously just mocked him and beat him. And so this is where we are at, at this moment. They nail him to a cross. If the beatings weren't bad enough, they nail him to a cross. And and if you know anything about, you know, crucifixion stuff, by the way, the Romans did it better than anybody else. They did it so well, nobody did it after them. Because it was considered such a cruel way to die. Because actually what would happen is you would suffocate. They would kind of arch your legs uh, and hang your wrist and, and put a nail probably right through your wrist so it would hold right there and you would have to push up to breathe. And eventually you would just be exhausted and you would hang there. If you, if you don't believe, go find some jungle gym, go find some bars and just hang there for about like five minutes and see how you can't breathe. And so really that's what would happen. And eventually they would just come in and said, well, this is taking too long, we'll break their legs. They could hang there for days, suffering. 
until they just were so exhausted they couldn't breathe. This, this is the picture, and this is what's going on. And in the midst of that, we see, starting in verse 37, again, it says, And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is King, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. You know, and Pilate did that because he didn't like the high priest. See, the high priests, the religious leaders, they were afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of what he was saying. It was becoming too popular. They were, they were, he was standing against their power and their prestige and where their position. And they were worried about that. And so Pilate, who, by the way, a lot of times we look at Pilate and says, well, Pilate wasn't a bad guy. Pilate was an awful human being. I want to tell you this. He was cruel. He was not a good guy. And so they put this sign above his head and says then, verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And we're going to talk about them in a couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll get more into that. But then as he's hanging there, by the way, not only did they beat him, when they crucified him, they usually stripped their clothes and he was naked. One of the, one of the worst humiliations that you could have, especially in this time, is to be naked. And he's just hanging there for people to look at him and to go by him. And in verse 9 it says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you are who you say you are, if you're that person, then go ahead and come down. Save yourself. And it wasn't just normal, it was even the chief priests, verse 41, so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. The religious leaders, the one that should know better, that should know scripture better than anybody else. They said in verse 42, he says, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. If you're so special, if you're so powerful, if you are the Son of God, if you are Messiah, who you claim to be, then show us. Come on down. And then verse 43, it kind of hits to the point. It says, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. That, that's a big word. Trust. Because according to Jewish tradition, anyone that's like nailed to a tree or, or crucified, they're cursed. And so if, that, if, if, if God is for you, if God is on your side, if, if you are in a relationship with him and you're in good standing with him, then God's going to come in and, and save you and protect you. It's the history of Israel. When they were doing the things that God wanted them to do, they, he would come in. All through Judges, he'd come in and he would rescue them. He rescued them from Egypt. And so, so if you trust God so much and you believe in God so much, let, let him save you. And so really what this is, it's about a matter of trust. In fact, that word trust in, in the Greek is the word pitho. And it literally means to have full confidence, inward certainty that what you believe, what you know is true. He trusts God, so, 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 so let, let, let's see something happen here. But, but the truth is, for us, it's easy to trust God in the light. It's easy to trust Him when everything's going well, isn't it? When, when, when the bank account is full, when everybody's healthy, when all the things are going right, it's easy to sit there, I, I trust God, I trust God, I, oh yeah, praise God, He's good. Hello, sir. 
I don't know where they are either. <laughs> but it's easy to do that. It's easy to trust when everything is good and everything is great and everything. But is it, how hard is it to trust when it's dark? How hard is it to trust when everything is wrong? And, and, and everything is, is, is against us. Look, look at, speaking of darkness, look, look, look at what it says in, in um, verse 45. It says, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Suddenly, midday became midnight. I, I don't know if you've ever really been in the dark. I mean, we live kind of in a world and culture where there are lights everywhere and everything. But darkness, real darkness has a feel to it. I, I remember being in the desert. And, and they wanted us to um, be able to find, I was a scout, and so we were supposed to be able to read maps and be able to find our way where we went and stuff and how to get to places and how to get back. And for a scout and for us, when, if you ever like, navigate using maps, there's usually like, like certain elements that you look for, like mountains or, or valleys and stuff like that. The problem in the desert is that sand dune that you saw yesterday that was here could be over here the next day because the wind moved it. And I remember there was a night, they took us out, and they're like, we're going to test you, we're going to make sure you're trained and everything. And we, they just put us in the back of a truck, drove us out to the desert, dropped us off and said, find your way back, here's where you are. <laughs> and we're like, yay! I see nothing. And, and the problem, it became worse because a little sandstorm kind of kicked up. And, and I don't know, in the desert, if, you, if you're out there, if the moon's out and the star's out, it's like daylight. You can see everything. It, it, it just shines off the sand and everything. You can see everything. There was no moon. There were no stars. And literally, I put my hand in front of my face this far and couldn't see it. It was that dark. That darkness feels. And at that moment was probably the strongest time in my prayer life ever. <laughs> Because I'm like, God, I don't know where we are. I don't know how. I'm, I'm going to die. I, I, got, I got a little baby that was just born. I got a wife back home. I, I'm never going to find my way again. And, and we were roaming and roaming. Finally, we, we did. By the way, I made it. I survived. <laughs> it was actually just over the next hill and stuff, our little camp. They didn't take us that far. They just drove us around and everything. But the truth is, is that this darkness covered the land. And it is, do we trust when it is dark? I mean, I mean look, look what it says, verse 48. And in this darkness, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It, it amazes me and it confounds me. Not once did Jesus complain. All the beatings, all the scourgings, all the false accusations, not once did Jesus complain. Until God withdrew himself. If, if you read the Gospels, you see Jesus always talks about God. It's like, this is my father. This is my father. And for the first time we hear, my God, my God, why have you left me here? Because God withdrew. And darkness left. Never in all of eternity had he experienced that. Could you imagine that moment? And, and we'll, we'll get into why, but, but the truth is that so many of the tragedies in our life happen in the darkness, don't they? See, we're all going to face tragedy. We're all going to face trial. We're going to face heartbreak. And, and there are things that happen, and we sit there and go, why? 
Why am, is this happening? And, and it could be there's so many of them. Like I, I had a video and I didn't even want to show it today because I just I don't want to prick on emotions and make this emotional. But, but it's true. There's tragedies. Maybe we've lost someone. I don't know how many people I've talked to that oh, over the years in the past where they said they were fine. And, the, and then the next day they were gone. They died. So many mothers that, that have lost children or miscarried. There's so many people where the job was going perfect and everything was good. And then all of a sudden everything was gone. I had a retirement. I was set. We just went through that a few years ago. That I had a retirement and I was all set. And then the stock market crashed and, and all of a sudden. And then I have nothing and I don't understand. And we are left with that question, why? And we feel the darkness all around us. The question is, how do we deal with with that how do we trust in the dark when it feels like you're all alone see i i I think our problem is is that we have a limited vision it's so often that that when the troubles happen when the tragedy happens that's all we see isn't it we, we get so focused on the heartbreak and the hurt and, and the pain that we're going through. That, that's, that's all we see. We don't see anything outside of that. And we think, I'm all alone in this. And, and God, you've forsaken me and you've left me. And, and there's nothing that can be done. And, and I just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by that. And, and we focus just on the tragedy. But the truth is, is you and I can only see part of the story. This morning, if you are a follower of Christ, if, if you trust God with your life, God sees the bigger story. And one day we'll get to see what all, how this works together and how this all comes together. But right now, in our limited capacity, in our human and in our flesh, we only see part of the story. And we need to understand there's a bigger story. In fact, Paul talks about this. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. See, see the problem is, is when we focus on that tragedy and we focus on that hurt and that's all we see, then that's all we see. And God's saying, no, there's a bigger story here. There's a bigger plan. And I promise you that it's all going to work out. It all works to the good. Isn't that the promise, Romans 8, 28, all things work to the good of those who love him and call it according to purpose? It doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to be peachy and rosy and perfect. We live in a broken, fallen world, and we're going to face things like this. We're going to face sudden loss. We're going to face heartache and tragedy. But we follow a God that sees a bigger picture. And honestly, I don't know if when we're in his presence and we're in heaven, we're even going to care anymore. I don't think I will. <laughs> but there may be opportunity where God says, this is how this, that tragedy that led to here and that led to here. And this is how all the pieces work together. My wife loves to do puzzles. She loves them. It's crazy. She's got an app on her, on her iPad and she's doing puzzles all the time. And I just look at him and say, No. <laughs> just gives me a headache i can't see it but it, it that's our lives is this giant puzzle and the problem is is that we're only one piece of like a ten thousand piece puzzle and it's usually never a corner piece or an edge piece so you don't really know where it goes you just know you're that one piece the good news this morning is god has the entire puzzle board and he knows how every piece fits together 
And so I want to encourage you this morning that if you are dealing with tragedy, if you're dealing with hurt, there's a bigger picture going on. In fact, in fact, it is bigger. Our God is bigger. If right now God is smaller than your problems, you and I don't know the same God. In fact, Isaiah says this. Isaiah says it very, very clear. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our God is bigger than anything, even the darkness. So, so how do we deal with that? How, how do we deal with the idea that we have limited vision? That we only see the problems and the struggles. I, I'm going to put a word up there. I want to see. I want to see. Um, you tell me what this word is. You got it. Can you see it? What's that word? Nowhere. Nowhere? <laughs> you just ruined my sermon, Amparo. <laughs> we see nowhere. That was the first response. That was the first thing we see. And so when tragedy hits and tragedy happens and, and, and all that's going on and that darkness is coming in, that's what we feel. Nowhere. God, you are nowhere to be found in this. You are nowhere in this. You're nowhere near me. But what happens if we start looking at that, as Amparo said so eloquently? Now here, in the midst of my storm, in the midst of my tragedy, in the midst of my heartache, God is now here. See, I think we can get there. I think we can live that way. And there are three things this morning that I want you to remember. There are three things that I want you to hear and I want you to know that if we live this way, if we hold on to these three things, it doesn't matter what happens or what comes out of the pie. And I want you to say them with me. The first one is God is good. Say that. No, I really like you're actually awake. God is good. good. That's the first one. The second one is God is for me. me. And then the final one is God is with me. me. I want you to remember those and I I want to show you how, how those work. And everything that if we understand those things, that it really it doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't mean you're not going to face heartache. You're not going to face loss or tragedy. You're not going to face any of that stuff. But it does mean that you will make it through. I promise you. So the very first one, God is good. I love that one. I, I love the idea that God is good. See, our problem is we project our circumstances onto the character of God. That's what happens. Something bad happens in our lives, something we project that and say, well, God can't be good. If he, I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say when a tragedy strikes, it's like, if God is so good, then why did he let this happen? And we project our circumstances on, on, on God. And it just doesn't work. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It is his promise. It is his, it is his DNA, if God even has <coughs> DNA. It is his makeup. It is his character. All of it, that God is good. Look at, look at Mark. The rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and trying to get some favor and everything. He's asking him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Good teacher. And Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Understand this, no matter what's happening on this planet, whatever happening in our culture, whatever happening in your life, all the time, God is good. He cannot be, not be good. He's always been good. His creation, when he started, what did he say? Every time he finished a piece of it, he looked at it and he says, it is good. 
And then when he finished with us, he says, now it's very good. God is good. My circumstances, my tragedy, my trial, my tr whatever's going on doesn't change the fact that God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. And so when we know that, when we know that, we can move on to that next one. God is for me. If God loves me, God made me, he created me, he sent his son to die for me and redeem me, and he's done everything for me. That he's not only good, but he's for me. That God is on my side. Listen, this is only for followers of Jesus. I just want you to know that if, if you do not know Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, God is not on your side because you are against him, the Bible clearly says. But as we trust him, as we know him, we know that God is for me. In fact, that's what Paul talks about in Romans. In Romans 8, 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the trials and the circumstances and the tragedies and the heartbreak? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him great give how will he not also give him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Do you know that today? That God is on your side. And there's nothing bigger than God. God is good. All of his plans lead to the good because he is good. And in the midst of everything, whatever's going on, God is for me. What can anybody do when I know that God is for me, when I know that there's nothing bigger, nothing stronger, nothing wiser, nothing smarter, that he is limitless in his power, he is limitless in his love, he is limitless in every aspect. God is for me. So yes, God is good. God is for me, but I think the most important one is God is with me. Do, do you understand that? That at the moment that you and I start that relationship with Christ, the moment that we know the need that we have in our life, that we need a Savior and we come to Him and we come with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and we come into Him, that at that moment, God places His presence, His Spirit within us, and He seals us so that no matter where we go, He is with us. There is no place in the entire universe you can go where God would not be with you all the time. It's, it's a promise. That's what Hebrews says. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you uh, nor forsake you. That's what Jesus said, right? That's a quoting back for what Jesus said right after he gave the Great Commission. He says, go into all the world. Do all this stuff and know that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are never, ever alone. Those moments you feel like you're praying and they're just hitting the ceiling, that's not true because God is with you. God's presence is with you. If you are a follower of Christ, it doesn't matter where you are, where you go. God is with you in the darkest, deepest night when all the terrors and all the tragedy and everything's coming out. God is right there with you. He's a God who understands. He's a God who weeps. He's a God who loves. He's a God who comforts. He's a God who strengthens us because he is with us.
God is good. God is for me. God is with me. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Isn't that what he says? Nothing, not anything we've ever done, not anything we ever do will make God love us less or make God love us more. He is always with us. Even in the darkest night. And when we understand that, even in the darkest darkness, a little bit of light makes all the difference. When I was in the middle of that desert, I turned my flashlight on, and I was like, oh, I'm okay. <laughs> my hand's still here. <laughs> this is why I can't, I can't even comprehend people that don't know Jesus, how they make it through a day. No matter what tragedy falls, no matter. I remember I had the blessing and and the privilege and the heartbreak to watch my dad die over a year with emphysema. And every time I sat with him, every weekend I drove across the state to sit with him, just to talk to him. It was his fault. He put me down as his pastor. <laughs> so I came every week. And for the first time in my life, I heard about my dad's faith and I heard about his trust. And in the midst of those meetings, I knew that God was good. That he had a plan in all this. That he was on our side. But the best thing in the world was knowing that God was with us every time. Listen, that doesn't make the pain not be painful. I'm telling you, you're going to face pain. You're going to face tragedy. Many of us have. If you haven't yet, just wait for it. But to know that God is with you in the midst of that. You know, I, I look at the story of Lazarus, and I think, wow, what a cool miracle that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. You know what I think is a greater miracle? Is that Jesus looked out and saw the unbelief and the hurt, and Jesus wept. And so my question to you, what is a greater miracle to you, a God that can raise the dead or a God that will weep with you when you are sad? He is with us. But again, it goes back to a matter of trust. Will I trust God? Will I trust that God is good? Will I, will I trust that he is for me and that God is with me? Will, will I trust all of that? And there's only way to get that trust. There's only one way. In fact, in Proverbs, it tells us how we grow in that. It says in Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. I love that. I, I, I know that verse by heart, and probably a lot of you do too. But that idea of trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Why? Because you don't have the complete picture. You can't see it all. God does see it all. But it's that word, acknowledge. In the Hebrew, that word acknowledge actually means to know, to know intimately. It's not just to say, God, I know you're God. I acknowledge that there is a God. That does absolutely no good for any of us. Satan says, I know there is a God. The demons say, I know there is a God. But it is to know him intimately. It is to know him, to get into, to find out about his character and his person. And, and, and to, when we do that, we are able to trust more. We're able to know that God is good, God is for me, God is with me. We know all of that stuff because we trust him and, and we know him. 
You know what I'm finding out? The more I know him, the better I get to know God. The easier it is to trust. And, and when I say no, I, I mean know him. This is why I'm always on to you, like read your Bibles. Go through, get in scripture. Everything we need to know about God and what he wants us to know about him and how to live for him is in this book. And so if, if you, the only time you're opening this book is on a Sunday and you are ill-equipped, you are going into battle with just a pair of underwear on. <laughs> you have nothing else to prepare you. And so we, we have to know him. I have to, I have to pray and talk to him on a daily basis because I get to know him through that. I have to serve and use the gifts and talents that I have. And, and I grow in that and I give myself away to people. And I love God and I love people. And I follow his commands. And the more and more I do that, the more, the better I get to know him. It's amazing what happens is the less I start, I ask why. Because isn't that the first question? God, why have you done this? Why are you allowing this? Why is it? The more I know him, the less I ask why, and the more I start asking what. God, what are you, what are you, what are you showing me? God, what are you teaching me? God, what, what are you wanting to do with this to further your kingdom and bring you glory? God, what, what is it that I need to know? It's two very different questions, two different very attitudes. So many of us, we face tragedy and things happen and we sit there and go, why? When we trust him and we know him, we can ask, what? God, what is it? Because you promised all things work to the good to those who love you and call according to your purpose. And so, God, you're working good in me somehow. You're conforming me to something. So what is it that I got to get rid of? What is it that I have to do? What is it that I need to know? God, what? That, that's the difference. That's how, that's how we face all this. And how do we know this? How do we know this? Because it goes back to that first question that we asked when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? You want to know why? It's very simple. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, for our sake he made him, who, him to be sin who knew no sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God. At that moment in history, for the first time in eternity, everything that we have ever said, done, thought, everything that was against God was just poured out on Jesus in that moment. And for the first time in, in all of eternity, God removed his presence. I mean, how does God not be in God's presence? Because that's Jesus. But he did it. And everything was poured out on me. That's why. Jesus said, why? He had never known it. But because he did know that, we can know that God is good, God is for me, God is with me. All the time. Listen, I, I, I don't know, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what tragedy you have faced what heartbreak you face, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pull heartstrings. And I know in this room there are some deep hurts. Listen, I just want to encourage you to know that God knows. That Jesus understands. He knows what it feels like to be in the dark. He knows what it feels like to be forsaken. And because he does, we can know what it feels like to know God's presence even in the midst of the darkest day. 
The truth is, if you were stuck asking why, why only makes the darkness darker. I think God is wanting us to start saying, what? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? I can promise you this. We, we talked about this over our last series, that whatever trial you're going through, there is an end stamp on it. That it is only for a period of time. That if you're in the midst of one of those tragedies, that it is only, there's, there's a stamp on it that says no more. But in the midst of that, we can know that God is good, God is for me, God is with me. And I can face everything because of that. And so this morning, I just want to give you a chance to respond to that. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever's going on. To say, God, I feel alone. Thank you for reminding me I'm not alone, that you're here. God, what is it? You need me to know right now. Don't leave here asking why. Leave here asking what. And see what God does with that. Let's pray.